Hey, welcome to Sisterhood. We are so excited that we get to gather once a week with other sisters in Christ, talk about God's word, dig into it, see what he has to say, because every time we open the word of God, something jumps out at us, something speaks to us, because his word is alive and active and does something. This week, we get to talk about clothes with confidence, and I love all the clothed with things, and I might be a little bit biased because I did this lesson, so I've spent weeks meditating on it and thinking about it, but I feel like clothed with confidence is one of the most important ones because here's the thing. God can give you all the strength. He can give you a gift. He can give you a calling, but if you lack the confidence to walk it out, to step up to the next level, to do the things that he's asked you to do, you're going to be too timid to do it, and we go nowhere, and we stay where we're at, and it won't benefit us to use the strength if we don't have confidence. Here's the definition of confidence, the feeling or belief that one can rely on someone or something, a firm trust. See, ladies, we have a choice every single day of what we put our confidence in. We can put it in someone, something, ourselves, and I'd have to say far too often, I have put it in myself or someone or something only to be disappointed over and over and over again. And you know what happens when we're disappointed over and over and over again? We start losing our confidence. We start ending up living a timid, a fearful, safe life. Why? Because we don't trust ourselves to live any other way. What's our verse this semester? Proverbs 31:25. Go ahead and read that with me when I say go. Ready, go. She is clothed with strength and dignity, and she laughs without fear of the future. Ladies, this strong woman, she doesn't sound timid or fearful. She looks at the future and she laughs. She's confident that the path that God laid out in front of her is not one that she needs to be afraid of. She is a woman clothed in strength, and she walks in confidence of who Christ has made her to be. And you see, ladies, there's freedom in that. There's freedom to be unique. There's freedom to be authentic. There's freedom to be the, the one who God called us to be. See, we don't have to compare or contend when we have the confidence to be who God created us to be. I want that. I want that for you. I want that for us. But here's what happens. My mind plays tricks on me sometimes. I get caught up in my thinking. And if I'm not careful, and if I don't take my thoughts captive, and if I don't keep my mind fixed on the things that it's supposed to, my head gets ahead of me, and it causes me to lose sight of my God-given strength and my God-given confidence. Have you ever been in a situation and you're like, well, whatever. I guess I can't do it. I guess I'll give up. It is what it is. If you've ever done one of these or had your hands like this, then the enemy has you exactly where he wants you. You've lost your confidence to go out and to do what he wants you to do. And see, then what happens is fear starts developing in our mind of things that might happen. We start thinking about the what ifs and the could ofs, and nothing bad has even happened yet, but our mind keeps whirling in our head, and it gets ahead of us, and we're afraid to do things, and we can't step out. 17 years ago, my husband and I were planning our wedding, and I decided that it would be a really wise choice for me just to plan the wedding and him to plan the honeymoon, because I felt like every time I asked him for his feedback on something in the wedding, he'd be like, no, I don't care. I was like, okay, we're just going to both do our own thing here. 
I'm going to plan the wedding. You're going to plan the honeymoon. So we get married. We get to go together to bed together for the first time that night. The next morning we wake up. He wakes me up. He's like, hey, we're going to Tahiti because it was a surprise. I'm like, awesome. And then I had to look on a map to see where it was. And then I was even more excited that I knew where it was. I was like, okay, this is awesome. So we get there. We go to the big island for a couple days. We do a little island and then we end our trip in Bora Bora. And when we're in Bora Bora, we think, okay, we're probably never going to be back here. So we're going to do everything we can in these next couple of days. We're going to jam-pack them full of things. And we go to the resort office, and we look through the activities that we can do. And one of the activities on there that Mark really wanted to do was shark feeding. Yes. I had the same reaction. Silence. <laughs> I was like, okay, this is good. I like a little bit of adventure, but shark feeding? Like, this could be good. So we go sit at the concierge desk, and Mark's sitting right across from the lady, and I'm not really paying attention because, you know, he's doing all the talking, and I'm just kind of looking off, and, and then I hear the lady say, okay, um, I'm not sure what nationality she was, and you're not going to know either when you hear my accent, <laughs> but I know she had an accent, so I just have to do one, okay? <laughs> she looks at us, and she says, okay, you meet on pier at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning with your snorkel gear. And my ocean just disappeared, and my head flips like this, and I look at her, and I said, snorkel gear? And she says, oh, yes, you need snorkel gear to see sharks very well. I said, um, I thought maybe I could just sit in the boat. Do you think I can see them from the boat? And she laughs, and then she says, Oh, ma'am, you see sharks okay from boat. You get in water with snorkel gear, you see sharks very good. <laughs> okay, I'll bring my snorkel gear. So the next morning, we meet at the pier at 8 o'clock with my snorkel gear. We jump on a boat. You can tell that everyone has a pit in their stomach. And we had one of those guides that thought he was really funny, and he probably was in a different day. But that day, he's like, oh, sharks are so cool. They only give me one time, you know, like lost only two fingers. And he kept cracking jokes. I don't know what else he said. We get, the boat stops, we are out in the middle of the ocean. I see no land, no boats, nothing, just water. Our guide takes a bucket of blood and throws it over the side and waits a few minutes. He goes, yes, sharks will be good today. This is good. <laughs> throws another rope out, ties one end to the boat and says, okay, snorkel gear on, let's go. That's what we did. We all looked at each other on the boat and thought, no way, he's kidding. I look at Mark, I'm like, well, that's what we came for. So we put our snorkel gear on, we're the first ones in the water. I hang onto the rope as tight as I can. The guide throws two dead fish in front of me. The sharks, boom, eat one, boom, eat one. I'm like, okay, Sat, done. Swim back to the boat <laughs> as quick as I can. Everyone else is staying in the water. They like it. And I'm like, no way. So I get back in the boat, and I know this is a silly story because it's sharks, and yeah, maybe I really should be afraid of sharks, but see, I miss the rest of the show because I was thinking about what could happen. I was afraid of what might happen. Instead of just walking in confidence, sometimes that's what we do see, because ladies, sometimes our breakthrough has to happen in our mind before it can happen in our mess. Sometimes we do really have giants in front of us, and other times we make them up and we think that they're there, and they're not even there yet. See, we fear failure, loss, fear of the unknown before it even happens. 
I don't know why we do that, but here's what I do know. 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Ladies, fear is not from God. See, we have to learn the scripture right so we can learn it right, so we can live it right. If we learn it wrong, we live it wrong. When we, li- when we learn it right, we live it right. When fears try to sneak into our situation, we have to grab them immediately, convert them into faith, and then walk in confidence. See, I think there's always probably going to be a giant between you and your destiny. Chances are, if you've asked God to take you to the next level, level to step through that door, to get through that trial, there's some kind of giant or challenge or trial that has stepped in front of you. Do you remember when Mario Brothers first came out or the Nintendo first came out? There's four kids in my family. There's an, I have an older sister, myself, a brother, and then a younger sister. And for Christmas that year, we got the Nintendo. And my brother and I are probably the most competitive ones. So we would, we would play until mom and dad said, okay, it's time to go to bed. And then we'd look at each other like, you want to do this later? And we'd set our alarm for 1 or 2 a.m. when everybody else was sleeping. <laughs> and we'd sneak down to the basement. Why? Because there was a fire-breathing dragon at the end of level 1 or 2 or 3 that I was going to beat. And I was going to get to the next level. I wasn't going to let the dragon beat me. I wasn't going to die all my lives. I was going to fight that dragon in order to get to the next level. And I think that's what we have to do in life too. We have to commit ourselves to fight in the fire-breathing dragon in order to get to the next level. We can't talk about facing our giants in church without going to the story of David and Goliath. We've all heard it. We all know it. David and Goliath, the children's church thinks it's awesome because the giant gets stoned in the head. He falls down. He gets his head cut off. It's awesome. But see, what happens is sometimes stories get so familiar with us that we forget to think about them. And we can't learn something from something we never think about. So from time to time, ladies, we need to get those stories that we're so familiar with. We need to pull them back out. We need to get our eyes and our minds set on the things that God said, and we need to start reading them over and over and over again and seeing, God, what do you have for me? See, because in Scripture, we have to learn it right so we can live it right. So the story is found in 1 Samuel 17. Let me just set it up for you. The Philistines had challenged Saul. So Saul's Saul's the king of Israel at the time, right? And the setting for the challenge was in a valley with two hills. So you have two hills, you have a valley. The Philistines and Goliath are camping on one side, and the Israelites and Saul are camping on the other side, and then there's a valley in between them. The Philistines don't attack right away. Okay, here's Goliath. They don't attack right away. Here's what they do. Instead, they use a tactic called intimidation. And every day, they would send out their champion, Goliath, and he would taunt the army of Israel. Goliath was a giant. It says that he was six cubits in a span. Scholars believe that's nine feet, nine inches tall. Okay, I'm 5'8". This makes me maybe six feet. So nine feet, nine inches tall. Put yourself in camp with the Israelites, ladies. Picture this, okay? You're on the hill. You're overlooking the valley. And from your vantage point, what you're looking at every single day, you see him coming. He comes down the hill into the valley. You can see the sun gleaming off his armor. He's strong. He's your enemy. Just the sight of him fills your eyes with fear. But Goliath doesn't stop there. He doesn't just fill your eyes with fear. No, he said, I'm going to fill your ears with fear too. And then he shouts this at him. 
Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become my subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the other Israelites were dismayed and terrified. I can't say that I blame them. Other translations say that they were greatly afraid, deeply shaken. See, that was Goliath's exact intention. The reason he came out in full battle gear, paraded in front of the Israelites because he wanted them to be afraid. <clears throat> Excuse me. Goliath defeated the Israelites on fear alone. That's the same strategy that the enemy uses with us. Same strategy. If he can demoralize us, we will keep, he will keep us from pursuing what God has called us to do. See, we let insecurities and anxiety skew our perspective. We've missed opportunities because we've allowed the enemy to take us and make us dismayed and terrified. And he's relentless with his taunt, isn't he? Here's what we learn in this story next. Goliath didn't present his message of fear only one time. No, this is what it says. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Every morning and every evening for 40 days. The Israelites were given a message of fear to deal with. The enemy's taunts greeted them when they woke up in the morning and before they went to bed at night. And if they ever started convincing themselves that everything might just be okay, guess what? Here comes his taunts again over and over and over. See, we have to understand our fear didn't appear just at one time. The enemy has painstakingly eroded your confidence day after day after day until you believe the lie that he's regularly shouting at you. See, some of us don't want to lead a life group because we say, you know what, no one's going to come. I don't have what it takes. Some of us don't dare to start that new business because somebody told us that you really don't have time for that. You really can't do that. Who, who do you think you are? Some of us don't step out and forgive or apologize to somebody that we need to because you know what? They don't deserve it anyways. Who are they? You don't need to do that. They're like the Goliath appearing in the valley every day, taking his stand and shouting taunts at us. Lies and insecurities greet us in the morning when we wake up and then again at bed so that we drift off to sleep, mulling them over in our heads. He's hoping to immobilize us and restrain us from our God-given potential. We need to understand why it's happening. Why does the enemy do this? He does this because he is dealing with a born-again daughter of the Almighty King and lies are his only option. Do you hear me? Lies are his only option. See, he can't take your calling. He can't take your strength. And what he'd really like to do is rip inside your heart and pull out every dream or vision that the Lord ever gave you. But he can't do that. So if he can shake your confidence, he can keep you from functioning in your calling. And if he can get you to believe that you're raising kids wrong, guess what? You're not going to be a confident mom. And if he can get you to believe that you have no talent, you're not going to endeavor to even try. And if he can get you to believe that you're a loser, then you're not going to try to win. Remember, sometimes breakthroughs have to happen in our mind before they can happen in our mess. Here's what I learned from David in the story. Number one, David got mad. 
See, I picture David when his dad sent him to lunch, like running to the field with his peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and he shows up, and there just happens to be a battle going on. And he says in uh, verse 22, David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from behind his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Goliath came out like he had every other day. But this time it was different. What was different? David heard it. Someone with confidence in the Lord heard the taunt. And when you trust God completely and you know what he said, the taunts of the enemy do not make you cower in fear. They make you mad. So then David says this. David does something that no one else did. He steps out and he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would defy the armies of God? See, sometimes anger is a little bit appropriate. When you know what God said and you're being challenged by the enemy's defiance, we use the spine that God gave us and we get a little mad. We don't succumb to the intimidation and allow him to take our promises away. It doesn't mean we have to lose our temper and yell and scream at the devil. It just means we see what the enemy's doing and we refuse to settle for it. We won't listen to it. We step out like David did, and we said, "Uh uh-uh. Number two, David remembered the covenant. Verse 24, whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of God? They repeated to him what they had been, say- what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. Okay, here, I noticed two things here. Number one, David's already thinking about the reward of killing the giant before he actually killed it. He's like, hey, I already know I'm gonna win. I just wanna know what I'm gonna get for the trouble of doing it. <laughs> When we face giants, when we face trials, when we face challenges, ladies, we have to keep our eyes focused on the prize that's going ahead. We keep our eyes focused on the joy that is set before us. That's what Jesus did in Hebrews 12 too. He, for the joy of obtaining the prize that was set before him, endured the cross, despising and ignoring the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God. What did Jesus do? He looked past his trial to the reward that was coming. He kept his eyes maintained on the prize. Ladies, we have a reward that's waiting for us too. It's within the pages of the Bible. These are all the promises of God. If you're facing a challenge or a trial, this is what you do. You open this up and you find a promise that he he says, and then you put it in front of you and think, okay, Lord, this is what my giant is. This is what my challenge is. This is what my trial is. But Lord, I choose to look past it. I choose to keep my eyes focused on what is ahead of me. I choose to keep my eyes focused on your word, Lord, for what is to come. My sister's been dealing with some sickness in her body, and her giant right now is her physical signs and symptoms. But she hasn't let fear settle in her mind because this is what she's done. She's taken her Bible out and the promises of God and the Word of God, and she set it out before her, and she said, I can look past my physical signs and symptoms because I believe what this says. And when his word says that I am whole and I am healed and I am well, that I am whole and I am healed and I am well. And when his word says, I will never leave you nor you forsake you, then he will never leave me nor will he forsake me. When his word says, when I am weak, he is strong, then I can look past the trial, the challenge, the giant in front of me and I can fix my eyes on what is to come and I can rejoice in that. 
The second thing we can note is that David had the right perspective regarding Goliath. He called him an uncircumcised Philistine. See, circumcision was a covenant with God's people. Saul and the Israelites had it too, but for some reason they forgot or they didn't trust him or something in the moment. So David's basically saying, who is this man? Who does he think he is that he can come against the Israelites, the army of God? Okay, ladies, that's what we need to do. When the enemy starts taunting those lies before you get up in the morning and before you go to bed at night, you need to say, who do you think you are that you can talk to a child of the almighty God that way? Uh Uh-uh. He is an uncircumcised Philistine, and that's what the enemy still is. He has no covenant with God. We do. Number three, David maintained his focus. Verse 28, when Elab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave these few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. So his brother's basically saying, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are, you little pipsqueak, that you could come down with my peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and now spout off to the Philistine? I don't know about you, but a stranger could come in and taunt me or shout me down. And for some reason, when it's my brother or my sister or my mom or my dad or a family member that's super close to me, it hurts just a little bit more. When someone near and dear to you doubts your callings, doubts your giftings, man, it hurts. And that's what David's feeling right here. Ladies, when those around us attack our confidence, we have to maintain our focus. Here's what David says to his brother in verse 29. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the man answered him as before. David counteracted the words of his brother by asking again, hey, what's my reward going to be? Tell me again. See, David hadn't intellectually forgotten it. He just needed to be reminded. Tell me again, what's my victory? Number four, David was prepared. So David's a shepherd. He tends to the sheep all day long. I often think that would be such a fantastic job. You have time to sit in solitude with the Lord just watching the sheep. But David had a little bit of excitement in there as well because he killed a bear and a lion while he was tending to his sheep like it was no big deal. I often think, wow, that would be really cool to do that. But, so he's, he's not, he's not com- David's not coming in to this military battle, and he's not trying to be a soldier. He's not trying to work on, use all his strength in military training. No, see, what he had done was he had trained his whole life just by living a life that was led by the Lord. Same is true for us. When we get on our knees in our quiet place, when we open up the scripture, when we read it daily, see, we're training for the battle that's ahead because you know what? Sometimes the little battles need to be won in the solitude so that our big battles can be won in public. Bill Johnson says, once you kill the lion and the bear in private, God will trust you with killing Goliath in public. See, ladies, we prepare for those small ones so that we can face the big ones with no problem. How do we do that? We get on our knees. We start praying for ourselves. We start praying for our families. We start praying for the challenges, the giants, the trials in front of us. We get out his word. We start reading his promises. We talk with him through prayer. We learn Hebrews 13, 5. God said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you, no matter what your challenge is. Number five, David wore armor that fit him. 
Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, and put them in a pouch of his shepherd's bag. And with his sling in his hand, he approached the enemy. Let me tell you something. The power wasn't in the sling and the stone. David could have really used anything. He could have like taken a rope and lassoed him. He could have roundhouse kicked him. He could have punched him. I'm not in karate. But he could have used anything because here's the deal. The strength wasn't in the weapon. The strength was in his faith. God brought the Goliath down, not the stones. And I, and I often think, David, David, what did you feel like standing there looking at a nine-foot, nine-inch giant? Because I'm pretty sure David didn't feel qualified in the natural. I'm pretty sure there might have been a little bit of tension between what he was actually saying and what he was going to do. How many times does that happen to us when we're facing a giant, a challenge, a trial? There's a little bit of tension between what we're saying and what we're actually going to do. God said, never will I leave you, nor will I forsake you. We are qualified because we have the Lord that has our back. Romans 8.31, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? See, David knew if God did it before, he will do it again. And sometimes we just need to remind ourselves, if God did it before, he will do it again. And that's why there's so much value and worth in sharing testimonies at your tables, from the stage, just in small groups, at coffee shops, because you can say, you know what? If God did it before, he will do it again. If he did it for her, he will do it for me. And you just remind yourself of his faithfulness. Number six, David acted. He talked in faith and he walked in faith. See, confident can't be just all talk. If you're truly confident in the Lord, sooner or later, you're going to have to act on it. Look at verse 41. Meanwhile, the Philistine was his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome and despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at with these sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Okay, so David's confidence was challenged by his brother by his king, and now by the giant himself. This is where David's training pays off. Look at verse 45. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give you the carcasses of the, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of it into your hands. Amen. Amen. There was a battle that was fought and a battle that's going to be won. It's not pride when David goes there. It's confidence because David doesn't come up to him and say, hey, I'm smarter. I'm better. I'm more talented. No, his confidence isn't in himself. It's in the Lord. Look at verse 48. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank, in his, sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. Yes, we can get excited about that. That really happened. I didn't make that up. The Bible didn't make that up. It's a real story. 
I think sometimes it's time for us to get a little fired up, ladies, to get a little feisty, to start facing our giants with a little more uh, a little more mad, a little more anger. Not because we're mad at ourselves or what's happening, but because we're mad that the enemy thinks he can come in on our territory and taunt us with his lies and immobilize us to do the things that God wants us to do. It might be you. I don't know what your challenge is, but God does. I don't know what your five smooth stones are that you come to battle with, but God does. But I would challenge you this, ladies. I think it's time as sisters in Christ that we spend a little bit more time in the solitude, in our secret place, fighting some battles on our knees in the quiet so that there's a few more things that can happen in the public. Because guess what? I'm ready to see miracles. I'm ready to see giant slayed. I'm ready to see five smooth stones kill a nine-foot, nine-inch giant. And it starts here. When we leave today, girls, gather your stones and start watching for the lies that are attacking you, the lies that are take, attacking your family, and start throwing stones at them and knocking them down. Because we don't have to deal with them because we are a daughter of the Almighty King. And he has our back. And by our faith, we walk out in confidence. Let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you that you have given us the gift of confidence, Lord, that you have given us strength, Lord, that you have given us the gift of prayer. And Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that challenges and trials and giants that stand before us would shrink just a little bit even today, Lord, and they would get smaller and smaller because our faith in you gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And Lord, when we lose focus, find somebody, help us to find someone that can refocus us, remind us, and get our, our eyes fixed back on the prize that is ahead of us. Jesus, we give you all the glory for the giants that are going to be slayed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen.